there's still a lot of folks that don't think about geothermal as an option when they're considering things like wind and solar. You can't see geothermal, which is kind of a strength. Geothermal is deployable and it's available where you are. There's heat beneath our feet everywhere. We just have to be able to harness it. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we are talking about an expanding role for geothermal energy. I've said it many times on this podcast, geothermal has a lot of hidden potential and hasn't yet captured the imagination the way other renewable energy sources have. Whereas wind and solar are the ones grabbing all the headlines, geothermal has the potential to produce large amounts of clean, constant energy. Two years ago, I profiled the Department of Energy's report that stated that geothermal energy could provide up to 60 gigawatts of power by 2050, a 25-fold increase from today. There are a few geothermal breakthroughs that could help make this happen. First, the department is working on what they call enhanced geothermal systems, basically adding water to the hot rocks below. The geothermal plants in operation today had the water there already. Second, my guest says there could be many more geothermal resources, water already added, that they just don't know about. These are called hidden systems. Most naturally occurring geothermal systems we've tapped were discovered because they had some form of surface expression, like a geyser to tip us off they were there. There are currently projects in place to seek out these hidden systems around the country. My guest says they're exploring ways to take advantage of geothermal now, not just in the American West, through technologies like district heating and cooling systems, which we discuss in episode 105. There are also solutions for combining geothermal with other generation like natural gas or renewables. What was new to me in this interview was the idea that geothermal could also be used for storage. Now that's seems a little counterintuitive at first. Geothermal's always on, so why would storage even be necessary? My guest says the key is playing with the layers below our feet. It's a process called reservoir energy storage. You basically take heat from one layer and bank it in another, while producing energy from the original source. That way, you can call on the additional energy when needed. We also discuss geothermal's relationship with the oil and gas sector, which I believe should always be closer than it is. And another technology being explored is the potential to harvest minerals like lithium from the water being circulated through the Earth's crust. This is similar to what was suggested in episode 106. So, geothermal can back up other renewables, share technology with the oil and gas crowd, serve as a battery, and even provide raw materials for batteries. It's a team player that deserves more of a starting role. My guest today is Dr. Alexis McKittrick, Program Manager at the Geothermal Technologies Office at the Department of Energy. This is my third conversation with the GTO, and I was surprised about all the new technologies we hadn't discussed before. To get you caught up, I first interviewed Alexis's boss, Dr. Sue Ham, back in 2019, when the group first released their GeoVision report, a roadmap for getting us to those 60 gigawatts by mid-century. A year later, I spoke with the Program Manager for the GTO's FORGE project, which is aimed at demonstrating 
demonstrating an enhanced geothermal system in Utah. Alexis, as a program manager, is responsible for developing and managing the awards her department gives out to universities, national labs, and private industry. I was curious to know what kinds of companies, like oil and gas, are participating in these programs. GTO just announced some new awards, so it was a good time to check in on the work they are doing. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alexis McKittrick. with Alexis McKittrick, Program Manager for the Geothermal Technologies Office at the Department of Energy. And Alexis, let's set this up for listeners. Geothermal energy research is making some big strides lately, and it could be possible to see a lot more potential sites for this than we'd previously thought, right? Yes, Jay. Thanks for that question. The potential for geothermal is absolutely tremendous. Geothermal is a dispatchable, baseload, renewable energy source. It's always available and it complements intermittent sources really well, like solar and wind, making it an integral part of tomorrow's renewable energy grid. The Geothermal Technologies Office, we're looking at geothermal energy for power production. And right now that exists mostly in the Western United States. About 95 percent of geothermal power production is in California and Nevada. It's about 3.5 gigawatts on the U.S. energy grid. But we have the potential to greatly expand that using a couple of different techniques. So one is enhanced geothermal systems, or EGS, which is where you're engineering geothermal in the subsurface. We're actively investing in technologies that could place geothermal reservoirs anywhere that you need power. So not just in the West, but really anywhere in the United States. And that's a really powerful idea. And it's one that's actually been demonstrated already on the fringe of existing geothermal fields in the West. And if we can harness this potential of EGS, right, and grow the electric sector in this area, then we really have the opportunity to deploy new and innovative technologies all over the U.S. and reach a potential of 60 gigawatts um, or potentially more. At DOE, we're also looking at naturally occurring geothermal reservoirs that we simply don't know about yet. These are called hidden systems. They are geothermal reservoirs that don't have have any obvious surface expression, right? Like a hot spring, for example. We actually have multiple research projects that are working on methods as well as machine learning techniques and algorithms that are gonna help us more accurately and efficiently identify where these hidden systems are that allows us to create geothermal power. And I do wanna take one moment to look beyond power production. Geothermal provides a distributed source of clean, affordable, secure, local heating and cooling solutions. We're looking at everything from traditional geothermal heat pumps to community-based or district-based geothermal energy systems that supply heat to buildings. Yeah, and I've talked about district heating before. I had Vicinity Energy on as a guest, and that's really exciting. And look, that GeoVision study that I first talked to the Geothermal Technologies Office about in 2019, you mentioned 2050, and that's been an interesting number because that seems to be the year that a lot of utilities have made to go Mm -hmm. carbon neutral. And one of the things that I've brought up a lot of times on this podcast is that it's a little bit precarious because you have a lot of things on the grid right now that are zero carbon, like all of our nuclear fleet, that I don't think they're being serious enough about replacing. And so this idea that you're going to add all these gigawatts of geothermal, that may have to be a necessity if anyone wants to be net carbon negative by 2050, especially when you have dozens of nuclear plants rolling off with no real solution for replacing that zero 
carbon energy, right? Right. No, absolutely. And one thing that's great about the district heating and cooling space is it's something that's deployable now. While we are absolutely funding research that's going to help increase the efficiency of those processes and create new similar technologies, those are systems that are popping up all over the U.S. right now. So GeoVision actually shows that the highest potential for economical systems in this space in the geothermal heat pump and geothermal district heating space are in the Northeast corridor. But we're also seeing places like Colorado and Texas where these geothermal district heating and cooling systems are being utilized in full communities. And you're seeing not only economic benefits, right, renewable energy benefits, but also resiliency benefits. Alexis, one of the things that Sue Ham and I talked about in that first interview was this idea of geothermal's ability to capture the imagination, right? Like big solar farms, it looks so great, and the wind farms. Geothermal is a little bit harder because everything's underground. You can't see it, right? So right. Do you think in the last couple of years, especially as we're making these real pushes for carbon neutral energy and renewables, do you think people are starting to get it with geothermal? Yeah, that's a great question, Jay. I think that as you see really great examples of geothermal power being used on the grid, as well as some of these geothermal direct use heating and district heating systems populating more in the media and companies talking more about them, campuses talking more about them, utilities talking more about them. I do think that the the message is starting to be amplified, right, in a way that we haven't seen before. But just to be clear, right, we have a good while left to go. There's still a lot of folks that don't think about, right, geothermal as an option when they're considering things like wind and solar. And some of that is exactly for the reason that you mentioned, right? Again, you can't see geothermal, which is kind of a strength because that lower footprint of geothermal is actually a really great advantage of those systems. And so folks don't always know it's there. We can continue to amplify that message and make sure folks know and understand that geothermal is deployable and it's available where you are. There's heat beneath our feet everywhere. We just have to be able to harness it. Right. Let's talk a little bit about some of these awards again. DOE gives out awards all the time. That's nothing new. But I thought the two that were recently announced by GTO, I love that name, by the way. And that <laughs> help illustrate where geothermal is going. First off, you have an award for surveying using helicopters. How is that a breakthrough for geothermal? Yeah, this project that you're mentioning with Sandia National Laboratories is actually going to identify potential geothermal targets via helicopter, as you mentioned, using helicopter-based electromagnetic surveys. And then they're going to further explore the targets with magnetotelluric surveys. This critical data is going to be used to build subsurface pictures that are going to be useful to geothermal drillers as they explore for geothermal energy, particularly in the Western United States. And again, potentially lowering the risks and costs associated with finding these, um, these systems. The deliverable is hopefully going to be a hidden systems playbook, right? So something that can be aimed at consolidating all of the available geoscience data sets, right? And be used as a template to conduct exploration for hidden systems elsewhere in the Basin Range province. You know, and I think that brings 
brings up a good point, this thing about characterizing and really knowing where it is, because we always see these maps of, say, the continental United States, and you've got these color swatches over parts of the map that show where the geothermal is, but that's not entirely accurate, right? Like, how much of the continental United States, for instance, would you say is actually characterized? Yeah, no, that's a great question. The USGS, the U.S. Geological Survey, is doing a lot of that subsurface characterization mapping and subsurface resource assessments, right, for the United States. So what's really great is we have DOE and DOE GTO has been partnering recently with the USGS on a project called GeoDon, which is Geoscience Data Acquisition for Western Nevada, that is looking at doing exactly what you're suggesting, Jay, right? It is collecting LIDAR data. It is collecting geophysical data. It's going to allow us to do that mapping, right, that will help with resource assessments to find hidden geothermal resources, right? So that's the plus for DOE and for the DOE GTO side of this partnership. And then USGS is interested in identifying prospective areas for critical mineral extraction, things like lithium, manganese, magnesium, other elements that are used in high-tech manufacturing. We're really excited about this partnership and are hopeful that we'll be able to do other mapping exercises like this, other aerial surveys like this with USGS in the future to further fill out right that map that you mentioned. Another award that went out was to West Virginia University, a grant to explore energy storage using geothermal. How is this energy storage and not energy production? So the West Virginia University Award is building on work that started a few years ago with feasibility studies for deep direct use geothermal. And deep direct use is where you are taking heat from deep in the ground, as the name implies, and directly using it for heating purposes. And in this case, West Virginia is using it for heating and cooling of their campus buildings. It's not power production, as you say, Jay, but rather it's harnessing that low temperature heat for the direct use. This is the result of a feasibility study that ultimately determined that a deep direct use geothermal system combined with natural gas fueled boilers on campus would be feasible to replace their current coal-fired system. Going back to your initial point about energy storage, they are going to also evaluate shallow reservoir energy storage for reliability and resilience of the campus energy system. So if they're able to successfully execute that energy storage component, not only are they going to have that direct use of heating for the campus from geothermal, but they're also going to be able to kind of bank some of that energy in the shallow subsurface that then can be pulled out at times of high demand. And I also want to mention that we have another deep direct use project actually at Cornell University that was announced last year. Cornell University is looking to create an entire renewable energy ecosystem and geothermal is one part of that, looking to supply hopefully 20% of their campus heating. So what you have is two different projects, right? One in a campus that's very focused on 100% renewable energy, one in a fossil fuel community, right, that's starting to transition to renewable energy with this pivot to geothermal. And this is going to be able to demonstrate that in both of those cases, right, geothermal works and can be a great contributor to that renewable energy future of the United States. Sure. And this idea of using geothermal for storage. That leads me to Kelly Speaks Bachman is currently the Acting Assistant Secretary for the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy that feeds down to GTO at Department of Energy. She was head of the Energy Storage Association, who I've had on and worked with in the past. Do you feel that the storage talk is permeating EERE more these days from someone like Kelly at the head? We're really excited to have Kelly Speaks Bachman and the expertise that she represents from the energy storage perspective on board as our 
our acting assistant secretary for EERE. And this kind of follows on, as you mentioned, to the project that we were just discussing. Energy storage is a major piece of grid resiliency going forward. And when you think about intermittent sources, right, like solar, for example, the ability to bank this energy as a stored resource is absolutely invaluable, especially when it can be dispatched whenever you need it. We've been actually working in the energy storage space for a while, and in particular are part of the DOE Energy Storage Grand Challenge, which is a cross-office comprehensive program that accelerates the deployment, commercialization, and utilization of next-generation energy storage technologies, and hopefully also sustains American global leadership in energy storage. We're actually looking for technologies, Jay, where Earth is the battery. You're actually <laughs> taking energy and heat and storing it in the subsurface. And in particular, we're looking at research that looks at thermal energy storage in reservoirs, as well as thermal energy storage in aquifers. And these types of thermal energy storage projects will help secure energy supplies for large outage events in the future, as well as support grid stabilization through the availability of both daily and seasonal energy storage supplies, right? So whether you have a day where you need more energy or an entire season, like winter, for example, where you might need more of that energy, then you can pull in the thermal energy storage and the subsurface. What I really like about geothermal's take on thermal energy storage is that there's an almost unlimited potential of storing geothermal energy in the subsurface. When we're talking about using the earth as our battery, we're really talking about um, an opportunity that might be on the terawatt scale in terms of being able to harness that thermal energy storage. Alexis, one of the things about geothermal is all the great geothermal is in places like Yellowstone, right? I think that's what makes it hard for people to get their heads around. How close do you think we are to a large-scale enhanced geothermal system east of the Mississippi, <laughs> where we are, where the stuff is? <laughs> so... As you know, there's a great deal of R&D challenges for enhanced geothermal systems that we are actively working on overcoming. EGS has already been demonstrated successfully on the margins of existing geothermal fields in the West. And though the Cornell project in New York and the West Virginia project are not necessarily, quote, EGS projects, being able to successfully show that those sort of deep well systems can be operated in the East part of the United States is going to be that first step, right, to getting us towards an EGS system that is east of the Mississippi. And we really feel that EGS is destined to be deployed in the east. And it's a very real possibility that by 2050, and I know you like 2050 as a marker, that we'll see geothermal power plants in New England, in the Midwest, in the Southeast, kind of everywhere. And so that's really exciting to think about. Sure. And you're a program manager. You work in all those types of awards that go out there. You've mentioned quite a few of them. What kinds of private companies are you... And look, I think the deal with a lot of these awards is they're usually the darlings of universities, right? So what kind of private companies are you seeing working in this space? Sure. I, I want to start out by saying that I'm really excited at the diversity of applicants that we see, right? So we do see private companies, but as you say, we also see universities, national labs, nonprofits applying for a lot of our geothermal solicitations. So I do want to stop up front and say that I think that that breadth of interest from different organizations is really powerful in and of itself. But since geothermal is at the intersection of a number of disciplines, the types of companies that we see applying actually varies widely. I would say one set that we'd want to highlight right now is the 
interest that we're seeing from oil and gas companies and service providers. Exploration and drilling are very core to geothermal energy, just as they are for oil and gas. And so we're seeing increased interest from these companies and their vendors as their capabilities, their skills, their workforce, right, are a really great match for geothermal and geothermal technologies. So as our nation increases its deployment of renewable energy, there's going to be a greater need for skilled employees. And the skill set exploration and production community is very transferable, right, to geothermal. And so while geothermal is unique in many respects, its core competency should continue to draw interest from oil and gas operators and workers in the future. And of course, unsurprisingly, we're seeing a lot of interest from geothermal companies as well. And I also want to highlight we're seeing a lot of young and innovative companies in that geothermal heating and cooling space. And going forward, I think what we'd really like is to leverage the private sector interest and honestly overall interest in this space to be able to deploy that community geothermal concept to places where we're having issues like fuel poverty, remote communities that have no option but to run on expensive fossil fuels. And geothermal could be an option for those folks to not only transition to renewable energy, but also do it in a way that is much more cost effective for them. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the oil field companies. This is something I bring up every time I do a geothermal episode is how much participation are you getting from these guys? And I know it's always been there, but I'm wondering if it's gotten more intense lately, especially when you have things like a oil company and it doesn't have a rig on its website. It's got a wind turbine. You know what I mean? Right. I know they're trying to diversify and everything. So I'm wondering if this is where they're really starting to participate a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. We are seeing a lot of oil and gas companies with a strong interest and an escalating interest in pivoting to geothermal. Geothermal and oil and gas have a lot of similarities. The workforces have expertise that span engineering, geoscience, data disciplines, as well as obviously drilling, construction, and plant operations, right? They use a lot of the same services, technology, and, and personnel. You can see the synergies, right? The opportunity is clearly there. And I focus a lot on like skills and personnel, but I also want to note technology, right? There's a lot of opportunities for technology transfer from oil and gas um, to geothermal, right? Ways that we can make our drilling more efficient or new technologies that we can use down hole, right? Oil and gas has methods, best practices, and tech that we can hopefully leverage in geothermal going forward. And so I think that's also part of the interest is that not just all those synergies I talked about, but I think oil and gas companies are really starting to see a lot of the technology that they have and the methods that they've developed over time, particularly in drilling and assessing the subsurface, can be leveraged and used in geothermal. We've gone through so much. In summary, what are some of the technologies as a program manager you hope to explore over the next few years? I think there's a couple that we've touched on thus far that are easy to emphasize, right? We've talked about enhanced geothermal systems and the research and development that we're doing in that space is incredibly crucial to continue to explore over the next few years. Thermal energy storage and the vast potential that that can unlock in energy storage in the subsurface is incredibly exciting. I would like to continue to explore the opportunities in that kind of hybridization space that we talked about for district 
district, geothermal district heating and cooling, where you're combining geothermal with some of these other renewable and clean technologies, again, to the benefits of different communities. One part of the program that we haven't touched on at all yet, we actually have a geothermal lithium extraction prize. And this grew out of an interesting and unique opportunity in the Salton Sea area of California, where there are already about a dozen geothermal power plants. And what's been uncovered is that there is valuable lithium deposits in the subsurface, and they are coming up in the geothermal brines that are circulated as part of those geothermal power plants. This has been identified as a high-level potential as we look across the U.S. at the lithium supply chain, right? So we currently are envisioning that our lithium demand is going to grow exponentially over the next couple of decades, particularly as we look at creating a larger fleet of electric vehicles. This is an opportunity for us to source that lithium in an environmentally friendly way in utilizing this brine that's coming up as part of the geothermal power production that's occurring in California. We want these teams to develop technologies that are going to lower the cost and energy consumption of directly extracting the lithium from the geothermal brines in the Salton Sea. Hopefully we can utilize it and create a U.S. domestic supply of lithium, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, geothermal works with oil and gas. They work with <laughs> lithium. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> well, it's so off. interesting, Jay, because I mentioned yeah. the Geodon project earlier. We have a couple of these intersections between geothermal and I would say critical material industries, right? And in particular, lithium in this case. But you're right, there is a expanding opportunity to think about as we are harnessing this renewable energy source, as we are generating geothermal power, you know, what other opportunities are there to either generate additional minerals or supply or kind of maximize those resources in new and different ways. Yeah, no pun intended. I don't think we've begun to scratch the surface. <laughs> uh, geothermal puns are great. <laughs> they're they're yeah. everywhere. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, Alexis McKittrick, GTO, Department of Energy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jay. It's been a pleasure to be here. That was Dr. Alexis McKittrick, Program Manager for the Geothermal Technologies Office at the Department of Energy. GTO says that 60 gigawatts of energy would make up about 8.5% of the nation's power demands by 2050. In addition, Alexis says they believe there could be as many as 17,500 district energy systems and up to 28 million heat pumps by that time, also providing renewable, clean energy. I want to thank Alexis for her time as well as John Horst at Department of Energy for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com as well as on Instagram and Parlor at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 117. Be sure to join us next week. We take a little boat ride to see what's spinning in the Atlantic. <laughs> You won't want to miss this. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.